Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. I last spoke with my guest today, Zura Bahman, in early September 2021. She happened to be out of Afghanistan on a business trip when the Taliban overran Kabul a few weeks prior. Despite the apparent danger and uncertainty, Zura Bahman told me that she was eager to get back home and return to work as the Afghanistan country director for the peacebuilding NGO Search for Common Ground. Today, she is back in Kabul, which is where I caught up with her for the conversation you are about to hear. She kicks off explaining why and how she returned home. We then have a long conversation about how she navigates her life and work as a professional woman in Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, and how her work on peacebuilding issues continues under the new political order in Afghanistan. A huge thank you to Zora Bahman for coming back on the show to give me, to give you a real first-person account of life as a professional woman and NGO leader in Afghanistan today. You'll find, I think, a lot of nuance and thoughtfulness in her discussion of her life today in Kabul. And as always, if you are new to the podcast, welcome. You can subscribe to the full feed of the podcast to unlock access to our archive of hundreds of episodes. I've been publishing two episodes a week every week since 2014, so there's a lot of great content in the archives. Also, please do feel free to reach out to me if you have questions for me or suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover, you can find a link to contact me at Mark L. Goldberg on Twitter or by following the links on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with Zura Bahman, Afghanistan Country Director for Search for Common Ground, live from Kabul. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Um, Well, there was um, never a question uh, for me to stay outside. Um, This this is where I belong. This is where I was born and brought up in. Uh, and everything I am and everything I stand for and want to do links back to Afghanistan. So there was no questions that there was no question that I was going to come back. Um, uh, but what I was going to come back was always a question. Um, the extent to which the freedoms that I had would be limited, uh, the number of friends I would have would be limited, and uh, the, the the rights I would enjoy would be limited. And generally, life was going to be going to be very different to um to when I left Afghanistan. Um so there was an anxiety around that. Um 
and also the mechanisms of getting back was uh, was was uh, something I that that concerned me a little bit, but there was no doubt that I was going to come back. What were the mechanisms that concerned you about getting back? Well, uh, with the collapse of um, Kabul, uh, the airport, the international airport, I'm sure everybody saw on the um, international news that um, the, the airport uh, was impacted the most. Um, that became the hub for the uh, mass evacuations and uh, terrorist attacks as well. And uh, a lot of international um, uh uh, airlines decided not to continue their flights into Afghanistan. Uh, the um, state um, that was previously an ally to everybody internationally was no longer there to guarantee safety um, of, of uh, you know the planes landing in the country. The infrastructure was being lost, and um, so on. So, just the mechanisms of getting into the country was was a lot harder. The land border land borders between Afghanistan and, and its neighbors got um, tightened. And um, also there was a question of whether a woman on her own could could travel over land border. And um, so these were some of, some of the concerns. And slowly they uh, could, uh, flights, some very few flights started to happen and a doorway opened. And I was very, very pleased to come back to Kabul. And, and when did you arrive back in Kabul? Um, back in early December, I came back and um, from the airport, every, every, everything was very emotional. And um, we went, um, my colleagues are saying, let's just, let, just spend a day at home and, and see how things are. And, and I said, no, I really want to see what, 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 what is going on in the city. Let's go to work and let's go past the checkpoints and, and see if, if I have my most important right, uh, the right to work. And um, because I, I really wanted to see if 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 um, if I'd lost it, and I wanted to see that as soon as possible. I went to the office. I still had my luggage on me, and uh, went through a few checkpoints. And the Taliban stopped our car as in the security checkpoint near office, and asked who we were, and we told them who we were, and um, they waved us in. Um, and 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 that that was the first first surprise that there was the most important right for me was still intact um, to a certain extent and um, and I really wanted to maintain that um, uh, of course there's a lot of challenges but but that was sort of the first experience and the first sort of um, you know um, facing facing the new reality. Well, when we spoke last time, you said there are really two conditions uh, that would need to be met before you could come back, even though you're desperately and, and eager to get back. One was uh, your ability to work. The other was a guarantee of your personal safety. Um, did, did you receive any sort of guarantees of, of your safety? No. Um, uh, when you were outside, um, outside Afghanistan, when I was outside Afghanistan, um, of course, I... I I saw the country differently, and uh, uh, when I came back, um, it, it and, and I, I realized I could go back to work. And I know there's a lot of a lot of other women who could not go back to work, but I could, and and that really gave me a confidence boost. I never asked the Taliban if I could go back to work. I just went back to work, um, and and hoping um, that I would I wouldn't be challenged. Um, uh, so we, I never sought any guarantees. Um, but I did educate myself into all of their edicts and statements and so on on women's right to work, so that I, if, if if I'm challenged, then I could I could produce something um, that 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 sort of indicates my um, freedom to work. Um, around personal safety, no. Um, 
that again i never sought um any guarantees i mean it wouldn't have, it wouldn't be provided to me as an ordinary afghan woman anyway but uh, uh, once you're here in the country um a different sense security feels different um, as opposed to when you're outside looking in and, and consuming the news so for me when I came back I actually had a sense of safety I remember the first day and it was a, a Kabul has very sunny winters um, so it's either really cold and, and snowy or really sunny and bright and in the sun I, I just really wanted to go sit near the window and I'd ne- I had never sit, uh, sat near the window um in, in Kabul before because you usually because there's so many explosions and so on you always try and stay away from windows and I thought you know what there's not going to be an explosion let me just so I moved my chair and I'm still sitting next to a window and uh, so that kind of sense of security or or going down the road where I was always fearful of an explosion which had almost on weekly basis explosions um, so, so so I could just feel relative safety and security in that sense um, but as a single woman living on my own and, um, you know, a professional woman and, and not a lot of sort of usual um, usual safety mechanisms, I, 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 I haven't really sought anything extra. That's, that's interesting to me because, you know, I'm hearing and I'm seeing lots of, of news reports about professional women, journalists, women sort of being disappeared. Uh, and so it's, it's sort of interesting from me to hear from you directly that this is, is not uh, necessarily a concern of yours. Could that be like the nature of your work? Um, there are th- no doubt um, disappearances. Um, however, um, first of all, they're not at, at the, uh, these, I, I, a lot of the times when I encounter, encounter these issues, um, I look at how can we, make sure that these women have similar experiences as other women such as myself how can they create a safety mechanisms around themselves how can we connect them to networks where they can that they could reach out before it gets to a point um, where they have to face the worst um, and um, is it because of nature of my work um, perhaps um, to a certain degree, we work. Uh, I work for a peace building organization, and I personally, my values align with uh, with with the organization I work with. I believe in con- continuous dialogue. I believe in um, I believe in in, in listening and in, in talking and in, in non confrontational methods of of getting our our points across. So, based on that, perhaps, uh, but there's no guarantee that the fate of um, these women. Um, wouldn't be my fate at some point. Um, if, so, it, individual cases are not, I don't think, as 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 significant, and the differences are as significant. What is significant is that we are living in a situation where a lot of us are in danger of that, and we need to create the safety mechanisms around us. Uh, in a minute, I want to talk to you more specifically uh, about your work uh, that you're doing now and how it's changed since uh, the the uh, fall of Kabul and, and the rise of, of the Taliban. But you know, before we we get there, I, I'm just a little I'm interested in learning a little bit more about how your day to day routines uh, you know have changed uh, now as compared to before. Um, uh, I still live more or less in a in the same um, 
same way I used to before in, 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 the, in the bigger, if you, if you consider the bigger picture, I still live in the same um, building, the same kind, I, I live on my own still, I um, travel the same way I walk to work or I take, a, take, take the same vehicle. Um, and the way I dress hasn't changed, but I did dress quite, um, quite conservatively for my part of Kabul. Um, so, so those kind of things haven't changed. But what has changed is um, the general feel of the city and, and, and some degree of self-censorship um, that a lot of women are choosing uh, to engage in. So, for example, for me, um, I have limited my movement uh, to certain parts of the city at certain times of the day. I uh, tend not to be out and about um, too much on my own Um Sometimes if I'm, if I'm traveling a little bit further away to certain parts of the city, I tend to take um, uh, somebody with me. Um, and uh, also we, we are a little bit more vigilant um, of, of people around us because when situations, situation gets worse, then there's a lot of opportunism and people um, who may not um, like a woman for any reason they may um, they may start um, you know uh, uh, create uh, they start to create trouble. So um, I am afraid of certain things. So things like would I uh, would I be reported to morality police um, for for some 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 sort of a crime? Would I be stopped uh, if I'm I'm traveling? Would I be um, humiliated and, and things like that. So a lot of these fears are making us self-censor um, a little. Um, I have also gone off social media. <laughs> That's why I'm using our organization's handle um, because there's a lot of uh, there's there's a lot of polarization um, in the Afghan society right now, and and we live in a very exhausted <laughs> environment. Uh, it's an exhausting environment where we we're constantly. Um, being pulled apart, our opinions are being pulled apart, and and in the, in a in a situation like that, to to maintain your mental health and and to make sense of what is what is true, what are rumors, um, so 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 there as well, there's some degree of, of you know changes in behavior that 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 I've I've adapted. Um, am I I am I do fear sometimes that um, for for people that I know and then to certain degrees to, for myself um, uh, the the possibility that I would that, that somebody I know or, or myself would be arrested because uh, I keep hearing about people who not um, due to any specific crimes that they've committed but but perhaps by association have attracted the attention of the authorities and they're being arrested and, and, and then they disappear. Sometimes they appear back and depending on how much, how linked they are with the, with, with these online communities, with the diaspora and the evacuated um, civil society activists, then they, um, they, 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 they might, people might hear about them, but mm -hmm. certain, but, but usually they, people can't, people don't hear. Yet, you know, speaking to me right now in this public forum is not something that you are concerned about. No, um, because I also see the other side um, of of, um, of of the uh, the the situation, which is that um, engagement um, can create um, 
that space where uh, we can um, we can find some sense of security. We can try and reach some agreements uh, with the authorities. We can um, negotiate around our freedoms, and we can put our point across. Um, one thing uh, I that that really stands out when I got back to Afghanistan. What that that something that really really stood out for me was that the Taliban are the de facto authorities. Um, we may we may not like the way they came in, we may not agree with them, we may um, we we may we may have legitimate grievances against them. But the reality is that they are the one, the single most influential group of people for Afghan men and women right now. Uh, the decisions they make they directly impact us, and as such, we need to hold them accountable. They need to listen of to listen to our voices. They need to know what we are thinking, what we. What we what we stand for and and what we want, how we want them to be, um, because we if if we disengage if we don't talk in forums like this, they wouldn't know. And and in doing that, we need to we we have to take certain risks. And um, because nothing is without risk, and if we want to have a social movement, if we want to bring in bring about some change, then we need to we need to act with some degree of 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 bravery and um and take some 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 risk last time we spoke you described your work in afghanistan uh in terms of uh promoting peace building initiatives at, at the local level what search for a common ground does in afghanistan uh how has your work changed and and what programs if any are you running or operating in afghanistan today Mm-hmm. Um, the major change that we've experienced is um, the dwindling donor funding and the restrictions imposed by the donors. Um, we uh, we never stopped our programs. Um, we negotiated with the local authorities for the continuation of our programs. And sometimes they would say to us, you're a peace building organization, there's peace in Afghanistan. But then we would engage in a discussion with them and, and, and describe the kind of peace we are seeking to to create. We want to create a kind of peace where people wouldn't kill each other over a conflict over, let's say, access to water or land rights um, or, or, or settlers and, and travelers um, disputes. We would uh, want to create a situation. We, so we, we, we would explain to them about the nature of the sort of uh, positive peace or social peace building, and um, and then they would come on board, and they did that, um, and and our local partners and us um, managed to to gain the, um, gain their um, support for the delivery of our programs. But a lot of our programs were halted um, pending redesign um, by by donors. So that was that 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 created a little bit of an issue. Um, the other issue was that. Um, uh, lots of people left the country and we suddenly, although search didn't lose a lot of colleagues, um, but our partners, partner organizations collapsed. Um, um, several of our, our most important allies within the national civil society um, collapsed. And, and we had to, we were suddenly de- um, dealing with, uh, with, with established organizations that no longer existed or on the, or were on the verge of collapse. And, and we were being asked, what could you do as, as an organization that, that was still functioning? So we had to change our programs programming to meet that need, to make sure that the civil society wasn't going to totally collapse because we actually we realized the need, even if in the times of crisis, for the civil society to be there. So we changed 
and adapted some of our programming so that we could help um, struggling uh, small NGOs, part, previous partners and so on, to stay afloat and, and have something to do. And still, as they as they try to establish themselves, stay relevant to the needs of the, the community. Uh, we have had to make some programmatic changes, uh, especially around gender. We we would never, um, uh, we would never uh, exclude um, anyone, especially um, you know uh, women who are major constituency in peace building. Um, but we have had to change um, the way we work with women, uh, and uh, women have actually not the the women that we work with. They have actually um, helped us create these new ways of working with women. Sometimes, what, what would be like an example of, of like the new way of working with with women in in this context? Mainly, mainly it's gender segregation. Um, so uh, we held um, conflict uh, uh, management training. Um, our common ground approach training for IDP communities so that they can resolve um, conflicts conflicts peacefully in their communities um, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. And um, those trainings um, were separate, um, separate for men and women. Um, and the other one is around um, uh, facilitating women's access to these kind of programs by uh, making a provision for their mahram or their chaperone to be there. The Taliban haven't actually, offici- it does not o- officially require us to have that, but uh, certain individuals um, feel that they're required to, and we want to facilitate that. So, um, so that's the other um, change that we have had. But we have had mixed uh, sex um, conference um, that you that the, that had about 150 youth um, from Kabul and, and, and some other provinces, where the local authorities, the Taliban, actually attended. So it is the the, the key for us is to not not create restrictions but when women feel that they need a chaperone or they need their own sex segregated spaces then we provide that um and then where women want to be in a in a mixed forum and um even when those are attended by the taliban then we make sure that we provide that um because for us the key is um a process where the people decide and we do not decide for them on, on how programs should be um, and also do this in a way that everybody is kept safe. Uh, so your work and, and your return to, to uh, Afghanistan more broadly you know, is happening in the context of just like a broad meltdown of the Afghan economy. Um, yes. How is that impacting your daily life and the lives of the people that you work with? Um, I want all of us to to understand that the seven billion um, US dollars that are kept that is that is frozen um, and the, it, it really impacts every Afghan. Um, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm I have got a good job. I. I I have good, um, you know, good salary and so on, but I cannot access my money right now. It's, uh, it's, stu- it's stuck in a, in a bank, um, and this is the situation for almost everybody who has money in their in, in their accounts in Afghanistan. So the money is stuck, um, and we cannot take any cash out because there's a crisis um, around cash flow. Um, we um, are also uh, so. That that's for individuals, um, which always gets overlooked. Uh, but uh, for our operating, for our operational um, environment, of course, that's become really, um, 
really tough as well. We cannot use um, conventional banks. We have to use informal money um, transfer systems, um, and that costs uh, costs a lot. Um, so we have to renegotiate with our donors um, for 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 these extra expenditures. It also creates a security risk um, for a lot of organizations. Um, and 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 extra expenses around uh, around managing that um we uh, our partner organizations um also um feel the same so it is just a, a lot of a lot of problems um there it has also created um a lot of tension and 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 i feel that it has pushed a massive um massive part of the afghan society into an undignified existence so there were people that worked and and had salaries and after eight months of not being paid because the funds are frozen and because the funds are not going to be channeled through the government uh, structures so now these uh, people um, upwards of a million uh, who in turn support families and the average family size is about eight people in Afghanistan so I I would say about eight seven eight million people in Afghanistan who are reliant on the um, on the state sector they were civil servants they haven't received their salaries um, for about seven, eight months. And, and and that has made them from professionals into people who cannot afford anything. Um, and they have to queue up um, in front of food distribution centers and and and, and get get handouts. And, and these handouts are usually small amounts of cash and and and, and some basic food. These are not um and, and things like electricity bills and things like um you know, um, other expensive medical bills and, and so on, though they get they still remain unpaid and it's a very hard and undignified existence. Uh, international organizations have stopped development projects and that has also made a lot of beneficiaries that were that were really um they were really um, productive. Like you know they, they I, I met a woman who used to weave carpets uh, for a big a big uh, development project, and now she has to. Um, that that project has stopped, and and the donor has said that they, that instead of buying her carpets, they will just give her, um, and give her money. They are going to just give her a sack of flour and a and a and a and a, and a, and a bottle of uh, cooking oil. Now that's very undignified. That's that's not um, that's not uh, the way to deal with 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 people um, in a country. That was that was. Um, more or less functioning. Um, so, so that that's 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 the most single most important thing uh, for most people that 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 we speak with, and including myself. Yeah, I mean, you're describing like a, a economic crisis that impacts every kind of sector of society, every sort of kind of person, an educated um, person of means like yourself, uh, people who are formally professional now. Uh, becoming destitute. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to yes. imagine it's impacting most profoundly those who had little resources to, to, to start with. Um, I mean, what can you say about the humanitarian uh, situation you know, throughout Afghanistan? And now it seems that things are going to get even worse, given this decision by mm-hmm. the Biden administration to yes. not, in fact, release uh, the, the mm-hmm. funds to the Afghan Central Bank. Mm-hmm. Well, it's um, the humanitarian crisis. Of course, Afghanistan was in the middle of one already, and it intensified um, severely. Um, so it wasn't just made in the last six, six, seven months. We were in the middle of one already anyway, due to drought and a lot of uh, financial mismanagement and so on. Um, however, uh, it, it, it is quite, quite um, 
uh, horrible to 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 see that um, this humanitarian crisis is being uh, intensified by by sanctions, um, and 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 to live in the middle of it is is, is um, you re- you really feel it. And um, you said that it's um, those that were in the most uh, the, the the poorest that are suffering the most. But those that were poorest were dependent on those that were the richest for the market to work. Um, so once the um, people who were involved in businesses, who were doing imports and exports, who were doing a lot of other, um, you know, manufacturing work and so on, if they cannot move money around if, and they cannot work, then it has an impact on on the on the poorest. Um, and also, it's it's um, uh, with with the Biden administration's decision, I'm really concerned because 3.5 billion Afghanis that were the backbone that was the the, the guarantor of the Afghan economy is now transformed transferred into buying um, you know the basics and, and distributing the basics the humanitarian needs of Afghanistan. Now I'm really worried that a large chunk of it is now going to go back um, to the admin costs of, of international organizations that are going to that are going to be distributing it. Um, uh, a lot of this money uh, was meant to um, to augment the Afghan economy, and it was to move the economy to generate more wealth. It wasn't there to buy flour and 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 and, and cooking oil. So we are spending a money that was meant to keep the economy of this country alive. Um, so I'm really concerned about that. And um, and also people don't only want to survive; they want to they want to live in a dignified way. They want to have infrastructure and so on. And if this is diverted to to the to to that kind of expenses, it's we're going to lose out a lot on on what we really want to see our country achieve. You know, people who congregate around this podcast, you know, tend to be professionals in foreign policy, people who work in government, think tanks, the United Nations, journalism. Like what recommendation uh, would you give uh, to the foreign policy community more broadly? Or what steps do you think the international community uh, should take in terms of its approach to Afghanistan right now? I mean, as we speak, you know, no country has really you know, formally recognized the, mm-hmm. the Taliban, as far as I can tell. Uh, they're not a member of the United Nations. And this kind of question of how to deal with the Taliban kind of looms large over a lot of countries' approaches to uh, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. You know, as someone who is dealing, you know, in, in local peacebuilding efforts, as a woman in Kabul, like, what would you recommend the international community's approach to Afghanistan be today? Um, I suggest that um, instead of creating a um, situation where the Taliban are looking at the international community um, around accountability and legitimacy, um, and Afghan people are looking at the international community around meeting their basic needs. What they need to do is to to, to create environments, the spaces inside Afghanistan for Afghan people to look um, at the uh, because a lot of Afghan people are already looking at the government at the Taliban uh, for meeting their basic needs and and and, and reaching um, basic services. Um, and they're looking at the international community for that. Uh, but they need to also um, create a relationship uh, between the people and the Taliban where the people would hold the Taliban accountable. They would um, exert continuous pressure on the Taliban about rights and freedoms. So let's move the dialogue to Kabul and to other big cities uh, where there is dialogue happening um, 
to a certain degree between people and the Taliban. Let's make sure the Taliban worry about what the Afghan people think and want, as opposed to what the UN wants or what the international community wants and what, um, uh, you know, a small nation um, um, thousands of miles away think uh, wants from them. So let's let's do that. And let's make sure that we... Um, we listen a little bit more. I um, I think everybody's experiences are legitimate and and and, and valid, um, but we I see there is a gap in uh, voices from inside Afghanistan and dialogue on Afghanistan. Um, some people choose not to talk because of the of the restrictive environment we live in, but many of us want to talk. And um, many of us uh, reflect what we are experiencing in Afghanistan. It may not be, uh, we may not all have the same experiences, but but it's important to hear views um, views views from inside Afghanistan as well. And um, the last thing I want to say is that please try and see if we can invest more in. Uh, and peace building in Afghanistan. There's a lot being uh, being done on humanitarian, meeting humanitarian needs of Afghans, but in putting so much money in meeting the basic needs um, without looking at how this investment, this new dynamics that are being created, how these are impacting the security dynamics, the existing conflict, new conflicts, the grievances, and so on. That's it's it's not going to um, have long good long term impact. It's it's going to it's going to create uh, problems down the line. Um, yeah, and um, yeah. So uh, I have a lot to say on this, but let's stop it here. Uh, well, Zura, I'm very thankful uh, for your time and for your willingness to to speak to me and for the opportunity you give my audience to learn from you. So thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you all for speaking with me. Thank you to Zura Bahman for her thoughtfulness and for her willingness uh, to appear and speak publicly on my show about her life and work in the new Afghanistan. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.